Welcome to Dynamics of Dialogue, your one-stop shop for peace and love on the airwaves, a safe space for people of color and our allies. Join us every week as we have real dialogue with people going through real life. Your dynamic, your dialogue. Come get some. Everybody. This is Rebel Queen, your host of Dynamics of Dialogue, and today uh, we're coming to you, well, I am coming to you today to talk to you about the Black Superwoman paradigm, and today we're going to be unpacking that topic. Um, first, I want to start out with this. You know, I think that we're all very fond, a lot of us, most of us, uh, love Malcolm X and follow the things that he said because he was very, indeed a great man. And one of the things that he said is that the most unprotected person on earth is the black woman. When you think about that, um, there's so much truth to that statement. There's, it's very heavy, it's very deep. There's a lot of moving parts to it. Um, it does carry a lot of possible meanings. Um, my thoughts are that the paradigm of the black superwoman came to us um, through our experience in this transatlantic slave trade. Um, that's what my idea is um, about through slavery and Jim Crow. Um, this was a time where black women were, you know, it's, and it's not a fault that black men were not able to protect black women, um, but that was by design, um, a byproduct of, of slavery and the supremacy that took us into that place. Um, so my thoughts are that it was slavery and Jim Crow and the need to be in survival mode that brought us there. It sort of put us in a position where it forced us to adapt to hardships by developing an extraordinary sense of strength just in order to survive. And in the process of developing this extraordinary sense of strength, it came with a lot of habits that required us to ignore what we were really feeling, to disconnect from ourselves, to disconnect ourselves from our pain, disconnect ourselves from our desires, from any hopes and dreams that we wanted. I, that, there's a genesis to this, and I believe that it's steeped in that. So although on the outside, we have um, these wonderfully amazing women who um, became iconic figures, of, of that time period, like Harriet Tubman and Harriet Beecher Stowe, all, so many people, so many women. Um, you're still talking about women that survived through a time where they had to have a baby and nurse that baby, give birth to that baby, and then watch that baby being taken away. And there's absolutely nothing that they can do about it. They can cry, they can grieve, but you couldn't stop to grieve because you had to get up and work the field. You had to get up and make sure your family ate. You had to make sure, and it was crucial that the black woman had to make sure that that family ate in the morning, had that breakfast, because that meal was the largest meal of the day. You would work as a slave from sun up to sundown. So it was critical. She couldn't sleep in and lay around. She had to get up and do what she had to do. And in that, it created for us an experience where we disconnected ourselves from our ability to get in touch with our deeper feelings, get in touch with our pain, get in touch with our true needs, because we had to see things through. 
I know that's the message I learned from my mother. I know that's the message that she learned from her mother and before going generations back. Um, so there is a genesis to this thing. Many people see it as admirable, but it is not something that's sustainable. Um, and that's the danger. That's why we're having these conversations. Now, I'd say within the past 10 years, we've been having um, these discussions. There was an article I read from Black Press USA that cited what was once a symbol of progressive and times now places an almost impossible expectation on black women today who are then ridiculed once they've fallen short of balancing the entire world. Now that's difficult, right? Because now we're no longer in a situation where we don't have the ability or we don't have the time to pay attention to ourselves. We do. When we say I don't have the time, it's not because we actually don't have the time. It's because we feel like we can't give ourselves the time to pay attention to ourselves. And when I'm speaking of ourselves, I don't mean the self that is going to the beauty salon. You know, we getting our hair done. We getting our nails done. We, you know, massage, massage is good. Massage is good. Definitely all of those things are good. But those things don't connect us with our inner selves. So when we talk about self-care, which is in very sharp contrast to the black superwoman uh, paradigm, we have to recognize that there is a self that is our outer self, that is uh, the part of us that likes to put on makeup and, and look good and do our hair and, and make sure our nails are done. Then there's the inner self that needs tending to. And it, it, it takes less time, effort, and energy as well to develop the outer self. It takes a lot of soul searching. It takes a lot of time and depth. It is a journey to do the inner soothing, the inner soul searching to get in touch with our feelings, to figure out what it is we really want and what it is we really need. And granted, the quote I read to you from Black Press USA, I can imagine that yes, it may sound a little, um, it may sound a little overly dramatic or something like that, but there's a reality to it. And in the reality, we carry, as black women, we carry, all women, we, most of us, we carry family. We carry making the home uh, a, a secure place, making sure it looks nice and it's clean. We carry our jobs and, you know, getting education, serving as confidant to friends and other loved ones. And then there are those of us who also have the added burden. So there's one thing that is unique to black women. Um, I won't say unique, but it's separate. It's, there's a particular struggle that black women have in addition to the struggle that comes along with our gender. And it comes along in the form of the, the prejudice, right? Living in the United States, the racism. I know that we don't really talk about it, but there's so many of us. I know me and my friends have talked about our experiences in the workplace that have been so blatantly um, racist, prejudiced, biased, and it's overwhelming. Um, so, you know, in addition to the pressures of being a woman, um, lots of time black women, we have to carry those. And then how do you unpack that? How do you, you know, when you're managing family, managing work stress, because there's a stress that comes along with doing your job, right? Um, and then there's 
stresses that come along with that's not necessarily doing your job like what I, the things that I described in terms of the bias and prejudice. So you, you've got all of these things that you've got to cope with and you still got to take, come home and take care of your family. First thing, you have time to process it in the car on the way home. Then when you get home, well, unless you have to stop at the store, because most of us don't get a chance to just go straight home, right? You, you have <laughs> stops that you have to make, you have to pick up, you have all these things. So there's really not a lot of time to really spend and, and pay attention to yourself. So this is why so many of us say, I don't have the time. But that attitude comes out of putting everyone else before ourselves. So what happens is that now we have the regular stresses of life, which unfortunately the bias and all of those things that is now regular. So we have all of these stresses of life, um, but some of these are more exacerbated. We don't pay attention to the symptoms that we have because we're busy again working. We're getting our degrees, we're taking care of the family, and we're doing it in this way. You know, and I, I don't mean to take away from what men are doing um, because they do do amazing things, but it's typically the, the, the wife that comes in and make sure all the cooking is done, that the house is clean, that the kids are taken care of, and that's the bathing, the feeding, and gosh, you know, that's a, that's a challenge, right? Um, because a lot of kids uh, have all these little quirky things they do, and we have to have the patience for all of that. And then by the end of the day, still find time to take care of ourselves, and that's the area where we have been trained to kind of um, push that back. So I want to take a, a stick of pin in that for a moment, and I'll share my personal experience with it. Uh, and, and again, you know, I'm I'm not a subject matter. I guess maybe you can say I am a subject matter on the black woman um, subject matter expert on the black woman uh, superwoman uh, syndrome because I've been one, and I fight that battle still. Still, even though self care is a huge part of my routine right now, I fight it still. You know, I may be busy even today, you know, even, even writing this podcast. You know, there were things that were my needs that I was ignoring because I kept feeling like I have to get this done first. You know, I, I was starving and I didn't want to stop and eat because I needed to get this done. You know, the things like that, we, levels of, of not paying attention to ourselves. And that's the way I lived. And I did that back in 2007. I would say I was on the top of my game. Um, I had a six figure household. I was married. We had a six-figure household. Um, had just gotten married in Hawaii. You know, we got I got a chance to travel. You know, where I wanted, pretty much do what I wanted. Um, you know, I was <laughs> buying things. You know, shopping a lot. You know, buying whatever I wanted for my son. And for me, shopping was an outlet. That was for me a great outlet to to alleviate the stress of life and all these other things. Because it'd be like, ooh, let me go to the store. Ooh, let me, you know. And I like to do that. I'd love to spend the time in the store and trying these things on. And it was great. But what I didn't recognize is that I was, for me, self care was going out and doing all those things. But it wasn't. I didn't give any attention to my inner self. I think that for a lot of us, we look at self as this, right? We talked about that earlier a little bit. There's still the inner self. There's the inner part of you that feels, there's the inner part of you that feels pain and, and, and feels joy and love. You know, there are many things that we need that we tend to um, put more emphasis um, in our self-care on the 
external as opposed to the internal. So we may need love. And instead of giving ourselves that love, we'll get our hair done. We'll get our nails done. We'll go hang out with our girlfriends. We'll go to the club. We'll do some things like that, you know, um, so those are the areas where we have to learn that. And those are, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. Uh, they're not they are, they are good because who doesn't want to look good. Right. Um, and let's, let's keep it real. Unless you're depressed and you just don't feel like it because there are those times too. But for the most part, we want to look good and that helps us feel better about ourselves. And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm just asking that we just not forget to take care of the inner self. And one thing I can say is I'm so happy to see, um, so many black women taking care of our inner selves now, taking that dive into therapy. And that's what I had to do. I had a crash course introduction back in 2007 um, because, you know, between, the, you know, all of those things, I'm giving all this attention and I'm getting my hair done, nails done, I'm going shopping, all of these things. And it was really the work pressure. Between the work pressure, I was finishing my, um, I was actually finishing my bachelor's degree and, um, dealing with some trouble in school. My son was having trouble in school. Between those few things, um, and then feeling like I was carrying the load alone, I felt like my ex-husband wasn't um, contributing. He was content to kind of sit back and watch me do all the running around. I had to do all the advocating for everybody. And I, I had nothing left. I had nothing left, and I just completely broke. I broke. I, I, and when I say I broke, meaning I just, I had a breakdown. I couldn't, I couldn't function anymore. I lost 80 pounds. I couldn't eat. I could barely sleep. Either I, either I could barely sleep or I was sleeping too much. And it just got to be so overwhelming. And I would say for, um, for the past years, 10 years now, I've been uh, working to uh, put myself back together and, and find my true self. Um, and I say I made that distinction about my true self because... I, my identity had been wrapped up in being a wife and in being a mom and being a daughter and, and being an employee and being a student. My identity was wrapped up in everything else, but I hadn't given any credence to what my internal needs were, my inner needs, the things that make me happy. And for me, I'm an artist. I've been writing poetry since I was eight years old. So I had for years, I had ignored my need for creative expression. I had become so deeply disconnected from my own feelings that I was on autopilot. And I believe that's what led to the break. Um, so I defined my true self. And I think um, it's been an, an interesting journey and I thought what better way to continue to grow and supplement that growth other than uh, to share it right? Share it because I know that I'm not the only one on this journey. There's lots of us going through this process. So also in the same article that I was taking a look at from Black Press, um, they cited some work by Dr. Cheryl Giscombe. And this is from the Superwoman Schema. She developed the Superwoman Schema, which is kind of a study of African-American women's views on stress, strength, and health. And there are five key indicators of the schema. Let's talk about that a little bit. The first one is the obligation to manifest strength. That's a big one. As a black woman, to be seen as weak is really a tough thing, right? It's a tough thing for a lot of us. It makes it very difficult to be in a place um, where we feel like we can express 
And it also contributes to the black woman, um, the angry black woman stereotype. Because I think when you, for women in general, when we exhibit the same tra traits as strength, um, that sometimes comes a lot, sometimes a little bit of aggression, um, uh, assertiveness, I should say, instead of aggression, um, is affiliated with that strength. And then for us in particular, our assertiveness is perceived as anger um, a lot of the time. So this, this persistent obligation to be strong, you know, it's how many of us do you see break down at work, cry? You know, I know I've seen my counterparts cry plenty of times. And, um, but for us, you know, it's, it's something that um, socially in our community just typically hasn't been, been accepted. Um, because we always say, don't let them see you weak. When you see, when someone sees you weak, then that makes you a target for them to come and, and do more, you know. Um, so that's a problem. That is a serious problem. Another part, another key characteristic is having a sense of obligation to suppress your emotion. So it, you see how all of these are going to begin to tie in. First, you have the obligation to manifest strength, and then you have that partnered with the obligation to suppress emotion. So when you begin to suppress emotion, then that means that we start to see them cold. How many of us have been told that? How many of us have, have heard that? Right, that we don't, that we're cold, that we're responseless, that, you know, that there's, but we know that that's not really it because at the same time that this stereotype exists of this coldness and this lack of, of warmth and response, we're also known for being this savior, this nurturer, you know, hence going back to, again, slavery days with Mammy uh, being the one that nurtured, well, mostly the masses kids and, and, then, and then her own if she ever had that opportunity. And those are very difficult things. You see how these ideas contradict themselves and it makes us a person, when these types of expectations are put on a person, it makes it very difficult to even sustain yourself as a human being. How do you manage your emotions when you're feeling torn between different states of being and you feel like you, you're, you're not even allowed to express emotions. And that's evident in our culture today because one of the things that you see all over social media is you mad, you mad, why you mad? Well, if someone says something to you that is uh, rude, offensive, um, that is designed to oppress you in any kind of way, it tends to make you angry and anger is a valid emotion. Um, and, but I think that oftentimes because we're, there's this obligation to suppress this emotion, it's an expectation that anything should happen and we shouldn't be mad about it. Well, guess what? That's wrong. <laughs> That's totally wrong. That's not the way it works because we're human beings. The third thing Dr. Jiscombe uh, identified as a key characteristic is the resistance to being vulnerable or dependent. Another thing, and I'm, I'm going through these key factors because how many of us have had problems in our relationships for these particular ways of being. How many of us have heard from men in our lives that you don't need me? What do you need me for? You're an independent woman. It's not a sign of I don't believe in the black man. These are expectations that have been carried down and placed on black women for since we've been in this country. So of course, um, we, we pass it on from generation to generation and now we have to start having conversations because 
We have our men in situations where they feel like they're not needed. And again, because we're now feeling, feeling a resistance to that vulnerability and being dependent, um, it becomes very difficult to rely on men. And I know I, that is something I definitely remember feeling, you know, from my mom. I always remember being taught, always have your own money, always do this for yourself. You know, kind of having the feeling that you know that in the end, you're not really going to be able to depend on him for whatever reason. So you make sure that you're not caught out there and you have for yourself. Even as far as going out on a date. Tommy, no, I'm going to go on a date with no money. You go with your own money. Because if you need to leave, you need to be able to leave. You take yourself so that you're not. So these are all messages that keep getting passed down. And these are all characteristics of this superwoman syndrome that are clearly unhealthy. The fourth characteristic is the, the determination to succeed despite limited resources. Now, that's something, another very cultural thing, right? That's what we do. That's how we thrive and survive is we, we push forward no matter what. And when... I know for me, when I had to stop, when I couldn't go any further, people around me, I, when I had a nervous breakdown, I didn't get a response of sympathy from the people around me. The response I got from the people around me was angry. Well, why don't you get up? Well, why can't you do this? Well, what do you mean you can't do that? I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do it. And, and it seemed to be almost like a cognitive dissonance that the people around me could not accept that I could not succeed in that moment. That what was pivotal to my success was me getting in touch with myself, getting in touch with my own feelings, caring for myself, nurturing for myself, back to wellness, and then I could move forward. Then I'd be able to, to proceed. But the idea of me stopping to take a break and not, you know, even because of my inability to, to function uh, through certain circumstances, it was, it was like reprehensible to the people around me. Um, so the last indicator is an overall obligation to help others over our initial sense to help ourselves. That is almost like an unreasonable and un, it's almost like something that we do that we can't even resist. We, we cannot, we find ourselves in a position where it, many of us will put someone else before ourselves, even without thinking. Even without thinking, I just watched a video maybe about a half an hour ago of these women, you know, a group of people at uh, this football game. And there's a white man and a white woman arguing. And this man spits in this white woman's face. He's, I mean, he hog spit in her face. And without hesitation, apparently her friend, maybe not even not a friend, but this black woman just came in from the out of the side of the picture and shoved this guy down at least two rows and he was clearly shocked and of course the white woman was grateful and the black woman is yelling at him that's another woman that's a female you don't do that you don't put your hands on a woman she did that without even thinking she just immediately reacted it's something that we are and I, I think it comes it's something that we're kind of it's ingrained in us and I think it comes from we we kind of know what it feels like to be in a really bad situation we know what it feels like to be unprotected going back to Malcolm X's quote we know what that feels like and we know what's not right and we know that many of us stand up for what is right even without time to think um, 
So these are all things that are really, really important. We have to recognize that there is a downside to, to being a, um, a black superwoman, to being a superwoman, period. And how do you combat those things? You combat it with self-care. So we talked about that a little bit earlier, right? Um, you know, making distinction between the inner self versus the outer self. So when I'm speaking of self-care here, I'm speaking of self-care for your inner self. Um, I am not an expert, but what I can share is what I do. So things that I do for self-care, my inner self, burning sage. Burning sage, sage bundles, it's immediate. <laughs> it's not a drug, um, but it's really, if you just go Google smudging, it's an ancient Native American practice. Um, and this burning of sage, there usually you can buy it in a kit with a shell that you rest it in. And the burning of the sage, the smell from the sage itself is very soothing. It's instantly soothing. Sometimes I even keep a little leaf in my car. Just when I'm feeling really stressed, you know, I'm not at home and I'm feeling really stressed. I just light that little piece of sage for a minute and just inhaling the, the scent of it is so soothing. It is so calming. It works instantly. It gives me instant calm. It almost feels like I've taken a pill, and I haven't. Uh, another thing I do uh, for for inner self care is meditation. I find that if I'm at the, I've done it enough that if I don't take the time and meditate, I feel it because that in that meditation, that process, you're quieting your mind down. You're locking out all of the responsibilities that you have all of the other things that everyone else needs. You're taking everything else off the table. And in a moment of meditation, there's you and your mind and your higher power, right? That's all. And those moments are what allow you to get in touch with your feelings. Getting in touch with your feelings is important. And it, you know, a lot of people would say, well, what do you mean I'm not in touch with my feelings? What about an example of that, what about is when something happens and say we instantly get angry, right? The instant first reaction is anger. And that's how we respond and, you know, maybe yelling at somebody or, you know, walking away, hanging up the phone, slamming the door. But deep down inside, the real emotion that we're feeling is hurt. But we're so disconnected from that hurt that we are not even able to express it appropriately. We express it with anger. Um, oftentimes those, those two go together, but it becomes more therapeutic when you allow yourself to experience that hurt and to express it, because then that moves you closer to letting go of the feeling. And how do you do that? Um, you know, if you're not versed in getting in touch with your feelings, get a therapist, see a life coach, it's life-changing. I have both. I have a therapist and a life coach, and I can tell you they're both amazing. Um, it is both, uh, it, both of them um, have helped me grow in ways that I never thought I would grow, and it has been, um, it has been an amazing journey for me. Uh, learn to listen to your body. That is something that um, having a life coach has taught me. Um, and, and the therapist has helped me more with getting in touch with my feelings. And I would invite you to go explore it. So explore that as an option because you may find that you'll, you'll learn something about yourself. You'll fall in love with yourself. You'll give yourself the kind of love that you need. Because there's a love that you need that you're not going to get from somebody else. There's an acceptance that you deserve that you're not really going to get from another person. It's very difficult. And I find that if you begin to give yourself that love, 
and give yourself that acceptance, then it gets to be less critical when you don't get it from someone else. Um, two more pieces of advice for you is one, master the word no. I am a serial overcommitter. <laughs> so I'm going to encourage you all, please don't do like me. I know many of us are already like that, but I, uh, as a serial overcommitter, I am um, working on being reformed. Um, and I'm learning to say no. And if it's something that I absolutely believe in and I absolutely feel like I have to give some of my attention to, then I say, okay, this is what I'll do. I define what I do and it has a time limit because I know ultimately I still need to reserve what's you know so much uh, for me. And the last thing is seek out other women that are on the same journey as you. I promise you that is going to be um, an experience and a half and it but just to be able to be in connection with other women and have discussions about things that you thought were only going on in your head you thought you were all alone and having these feelings and these thoughts feelings of inadequacy uh, feeling like an imposter here you are glowing up you are just rocking all levels of excellence and still feeling inadequate because you feel you know we're wrapped up in these indicators that all define this superwoman schema. Um, so there's so much that we can do for ourselves and uh, being a superwoman doesn't really serve us. Um, not at all. We don't have to do everything. We don't have to fix everything. We don't have to be everything. What's important is that we be those things for ourselves. We, we be that for ourselves. We can be the everything for ourselves. And when you do that, and you're able to be completely satisfied in that space, then it gets to be a little bit easier to give to someone else. So I hope you enjoyed today. Um, I invite you to visit our community, download the Mighty Networks app, um, and search for the official DFD Hangout. Come and join us. We'd love to have you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in every Sunday at 3 p.m. at officialdfd.com. Follow us on social media at officialdfd. Your dynamic, your dialogue. Come get some.